Hello and welcome to the Tightwad Teacher Podcast, brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. And now, here are your hosts, John Mikulski and Brian Brueger. Welcome to the Tightwad Teacher, episode 19, Raise Your Voice with Blogging, for November 15th, 2011. I'm John Mikulski, and joining me as always is Brian Brueger. Brian, what a week, huh? Absolutely. Um... I'm having a good week. We, you know, we have half days yesterday and today, and uh, I've got no work tomorrow, so I'm I'm doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, the the Veteran Day week is is nice, and I'm sure any teacher can attest that typically the the four day week, the shortened week, is always the longest week. Absolutely. I mean, you got to pack all of those days of work into four, and then of course everything you know is thrown in. You know, they throw in a few other ringers just to to make it worse. But, well, and plus the kids see a four-day week as they may as well not even be at school. It's not worth their time waking up for <laughs> So you, you have that going against you every time, too. But I technically had a three-day week this week because what we're encouraged to do at our school is every 10 weeks, it's kind of take a day off from classes and do a team day, usually like some kind of spirit building, community building kind of activity. So today was actually our, our team building. And Brian, I got to tell you, what a great time for me to do this because it pretty much goes against everything that our guest is going to be talking about today. We started off, we did a, a minute to win it style game. You know that show on TV where like they do all kinds of weird stuff? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah. so we had our, our kids doing minute to win challenges all day where they were balancing golf balls and bouncing ping pong balls into peanut butter and all kinds of crazy stuff. So that, that was a nice way to bring them all together and, and get them excited about being at school. But we also did what we are calling cookie getting. And now you know, like, Armageddon is like the end of the world, right? Yes, yes, yes. Cookie-geddon was the end of all cookie challenges. What we had was all of our, our kids, we were promoting this all week, and we had the kids who wanted to participate bring in a batch of cookies. So this morning at my desk at school, I had, I think it was like 17 or 18 different batches of cookies that these kids made. And then during our team challenge, we had them set out, and we had numbered them anonymously, and kids would then try a couple and vote on their favorite one that was made so we have a, a cookie champion now on our team that will be announced on monday very nice now although i do think that the, the voting may have been skewed because yeah i i made sure there was the, the same amount of number of cookies on every tray to make sure you know everyone had an equal voting chance absolutely absolutely and the girl who won um, strangely had more votes than she had cookies so i have a funny feeling that she may have swayed some of her friends to uh <laughs> to, to vote for her but now, hey whatever Living in Florida, but not being native to Florida, I'm inclined to say that isn't all view- voting skewed in some way or another. Uh, and you would know personally, right? Thinking back to what was that the 2000? <laughs> what, what was that 2004 election? <laughs> Win or lose, whether or not that was your pick or not, it just seems that um, that the uh, the people down here in uh, in South Florida just have trouble voting we'll just leave it at that i I understand well and i i have to tell you too i actually came home and i told my wife about this and my wife enjoys baking and she's a really good baker so i said well you should make cookies too and she said well that's a lot of pressure what if i you know what if i lose and i said do you realize you're not losing to eighth graders you're losing to like 
the moms of eighth graders <laughs> the playing field a little bit. And she said, well, yeah. And so I came home today and I came home today and said, you know, you came in like third place. There were some people had you and I explained what happened with the voting. And she went, oh, those kids are cheating. <laughs> Come on. Still out a little, but so well, of yeah. They are. yeah. So I just thought that was kind of funny that uh, I wanted to start off today talking a little bit about eating cookies in school when our guest is going to be talking all about the terrible things that we feed kids in school. So <laughs> we're going to get to that in just a minute. That's right. <laughs> well, speaking of which, I am super, super excited about our guest today. I don't know how much you know about her. Have you heard of the Fed Up With Lunch blog in the past, Brian? Um, actually, until we um, we started uh, pursuing this for the podcast, I had not heard anything about it. But it is, um, after reading it, it is pretty interesting. It's just really cool on two levels. You know, First, it's cool because it raises awareness uh, to a problem that a lot of schools have with the, the quality of the lunch that's being uh, served to, to students. But it's also great when you start to look a little bit deeper at how it's functioning, it really shows how powerful blogging can be. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit. But our guest today is Sarah Wu, and she is a, a speech-language pathologist in Chicago, and she'll tell us a little bit more about her job gets on, but she uh, started this blog about a year ago where she basically every day would buy the school lunch and take a picture of it and talk about it, and it just blew up online. And it's funny, Brian, because I actually learned about this right about Christmas time last year. Actually, my wife saw something online about it, and she started to read it. So I kind of known, I've known about it for a while, but it's really blown up in in just the last couple months, and and Sarah's going to share that with us. Well, I'm pretty excited about it, so uh, how about we get her on and and get started? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, joining us from Chicago is Sarah Wu, or formerly known as Mrs. Q. Isn't that right, Sarah? That's right, yep, Mrs. Q. Your old uh, anonymous name, I guess we'll get to that in a second. But again, uh, Sarah is uh, the blogger at fedupwithlunch.com, and uh, you are also a speech-language pathologist in Chicago. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you do at the school and maybe what your school is like, just so we can get a background. Okay, yeah. Uh, Well, I work for Chicago Public Schools. I'm considered what they call citywide in comparison to, I think, a lot of districts that are smaller who maybe they employ... Uh, related services personnel um, on a school-by-school basis. I was hired by the district. I'm sort of at their service, so they decide where to put me, and the principal has really little to no choice whether or not they want me there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, they're sort of stuck with me. Um, I go into schools uh, that have, you know, children with special needs. I help students who have trouble communicating. Um, It varies... uh, the model is uh, different, you know, um, than I think a lot of people think that I'm sitting in a room teaching kids how not to lisp, but that, but that's not what I do. I, it has to be a, a speech impairment that has an educational effect. So normally the kids I work with have severe speech issues, whether it's, um, you know, a lot of them are very young, so most of my caseload is you know, third grade and younger. So most of my caseload is preschool to third grade. And um, some of the children also have uh, a learning disability. This year, that's, that's premier. I'm, I'm in regular, in a regular elementary school. Previous years, I've been in um, schools with uh, higher populations of um, uh, more involved special needs, including uh, hearing impairment and autism. So what's nice about being a citywide employee is that, um, you know, if I, like, for example, after I ate school lunch for a year, I was a little concerned about staying in that school, 
you know, uh, for when the book came out. And so <laughs> I, even though I, you know, I'd been at that school for four years and, and it, it was a hard, it was hard to leave it. I applied for a transfer and because I'm a district employee, they just said, okay, yeah, we'll put you in another school that needs um, somebody that's a speech pathologist. And also I am fluent in Spanish, so they can just, they, they really need people like myself and they, it's, it's a shortage actually. So yeah, it's been really great going to a different school and seeing the, the it's the same lunches, but um, it's a different approach. You know, every school is so different. It's, it's been really interesting for me. I got to say it, it's been really interesting. I, I was telling Brian before we started recording that I actually discovered your blog um, about six months ago and before a, a lot of the, the publicity did, because I know you've been actually really in, in the spotlight the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, it, it's really great to see just because you have such a clear message. You know, I was looking back at some of the earlier posts and um, right at the beginning, you started it in, in early 2010 and you came right out and said, I'm, I'm reading off your blog. You said, the reason I'm eating school lunch every day is to raise awareness about school lunch food in America. And that's so, it, it just, it's right there. And I, that's what's great about it. There really isn't any confusion over why you're doing this. And there, it wasn't so that you could become maybe as popular as, as you are now or as, as in the spotlight as you are now or to write a book. I imagine that probably wasn't even something that was in your head when you first wrote that. No, when I started, um, you know, blogging about school lunch, I did it anonymously. I figured it would be a project that would last a year. Uh, I did not. Well, I had a little experience blogging because I had a personal blog that I shared with my mother and my sister. And it was a public um, website, but nobody read it and nobody found it. So why, you know, I enjoyed blogging and I thought, Oh, a blog a year of school lunches. I, I had no idea there was a school food reform movement. I, I just stumbled into this just because of my concern about the food that I saw there. And, and when I did this, I had no idea it would not only get any attention. I remember when I first blogged that first blog post, I thought, you know, I bet, I bet by March I'll get like a comment or two, you know, <laughs> because I thought, you know, that was my experience with my previous blog that, you know, every now and then, every couple months, a random person would find my, my personal blog and maybe leave a comment. And so I just, you know, I had no idea. And then it's, it actually two weeks at, into the blogging. So I'd blog for just half a month. Uh, I got 20 comments on a blog post because um, you know how the internet is. If you put something out there, it will be found. And I didn't know that. I really didn't know that when I did this. And, and I was terrified. I was mortified. I, I couldn't believe that that, that happened. And um, I, I, you know, there were points certainly at the beginning where I considered shutting down the blog, but I just tried to think positively about what could happen when I, came out or if I was ever found out. I intended never to come out even after I'd gotten some publicity, but the op opportunity to write a book came along and I just thought they said, you can't write an anonymous book. So I said, okay, well, there you go. And so um, I started writing a book um, late last year uh, when I was still eating school lunch. <laughs> now, as, as you progress through this, did you find it difficult to remain anonymous? Did you want to remain anonymous or, or, or did that, you know, sense kind of change as you went forward? You know, I basically wanted to be anonymous the whole time. I, um, I never, I'm just not the kind of person that really likes the spotlight. Uh, although it's been fun, 
it's really not my personality to just be out there. So no, I really liked being anonymous. And up until like a month ago, I could Google my real name and nothing came up. about. <laughs> and I love that. I really, really love that. And I kept sort of wringing my hands. What's going to happen next? You know, am I, am I going to have people at my door? Are they going to knock on my door? Is me- members of the media going to come to my door and demand, you know, interviews? You know, I didn't know. I didn't know what could happen to people once they come out. But Thank God, I guess it was um, pretty anticlimactic. Uh, um, I've gotten a lot of really phenomenal, um, you know, attention to the issue and um, wonderful emails, people embracing it, including my coworkers who are pretty proud of me. And and it's just really been a very positive experience. Now, I have a question about, again, you're, you said you just mentioned your coworkers. Were you confronted after you, you stopped being anonymous? Did you Were you confronted by maybe administration or someone else at maybe the district level that is in charge of some of the, that food that you were, were commenting on? Did they ever say anything to you? You know, uh, no. What happened was nobody in administration has acknowledged that I was on TV or wrote a book. I, uh, I did get an email from Nutrition Services, the head of Nutrition Services, and it was absolutely wonderful, friendly email saying, I'd love to sit down with you and um, chat about school lunch. And I, and I responded back to say, I, I'd love that. And uh, I think that um, n- nobody has confronted me. Uh, but what's so interesting is that recently the Chicago Public Schools Twitter handle has mm-hmm. been tweeting me. So I, I'm getting no formal communication, but I'm getting tweeted by Chicago Public Schools. <laughs> well, that's interesting because your Twitter handle, I believe, is at FedUpWithLunch, isn't it? So they, they're kind of acknowledging the blog in an indirect way? They are acknowledging the blog in an indirect way. And <laughs> it's so bizarre to be tweeted by CPS. <laughs> no. <laughs> And these are endorsements or... Um, like, check this out. We're doing this. And then I responded, oh, that's great. And then, you know, they're like, blah, blah, blah. They're copying me on tweets. And, um, you know, and, and they're like, you know, I mean, it's been really like friendly, happy little tweets to me. And I, <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> it's one of those cases of keep your, what is it, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. <laughs> I think that's how they view me. And I, I think that's, you know, I have seen... That members of administration look at me from the corner of their eye like she's a little bit of a wild card. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they don't know what to say then, and they I haven't approached anybody because I want to. I want to. Well, first of all, I've been just absolutely overwhelmed with um, work for both my current, you know, my job, my full time work, and then working on the book part time has been just overwhelming. So I haven't had a, a, a moment to really sit down with people as, as I want to and, and talk to them. So I'm still sort of thinking about um, exactly how I want to approach it. Maybe we got a, a little ahead of ourselves for maybe listeners who, who don't know the full story. Let's start from the beginning. So you got this this blog where, where you're talking about school lunches. Tell us how you started it, because that's actually kind of interesting in itself, what motivated you to, to start this project of yours. Yeah. It was about two years ago, and at the time, my son was just over one, just about one year old, and I um, was it was crazy morning, and I just raced out of the, the house and realized I hadn't packed a lunch for myself and just figured I'd eat at school. And 
you know, I really hadn't spent a lot of time in the cafeteria. And at the time, you know, to put it in context, my son was turning one. And that is the age where they stopped drinking formula or breast milk and they really moved towards real food. So here me, here's me at home having this, like, home food revelation. Like, oh, my gosh, I have to start making a lot better meals. They were always good, but I felt like, look, this is a developing human. I've got to really ramp this up. And then I go to school and I buy a lunch that was so overly processed and shocking. And really how I approach my work with kids is if this was my kid, you know, and I think that's, that's, it's even something that my former principal used to say, would you want your kid in this class? Or whatever. And I thought to myself, looking at that meal, um, there is no way on earth I want my son to eat that food. And how in the world are uh, more than a thousand kids in my school eating this exact same meal um, and, and similar meals every day and then going back to class and trying to learn? I mean, it just was like, oh, my God. That meal in particular, I wrote about it in my book, um, was the bagel dog which is um, a hot dog covered in bagel dough. But, you know, it's like, I think a lot of, like, okay, for example, when I've told my dad about that meal, he's like, oh, that sounds really good, a bagel dog, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> the thing is, it's like maybe the bagel dog you get from, a, a, it, it's, it, was, it was not the best bagel dog. And plus, how, how often should kids be eating bagel dogs? I mean, that's... Right. <laughs> But it was a bagel dog, a side of tater tots, and a fruit cup. And I looked at it, and I was like, oh, my God, and my students are living. My students, the, the schools that all the schools I've ever worked at have had, you know, 95% of the kids eating free and reduced meals. Um, high poverty schools, and I, and I know that they're hungry, and this is what they're getting. And, and then is that it for them for the day? It, it just broke my heart. What happened was, yeah. A couple months later, I sat down to write my 2010 goals, and and when I was doing that, I just I thought, of, you know, like I mentioned before, I had a little blog with my mom and my sister as as the readers, and so I thought, man, that school lunch really bugged me. Maybe I can blog about school lunches. I'll blog a year of school lunches. You know, that could be really interesting. And I told my husband about it, and he said, oh, that's really funny. And then he realized I was serious. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, I think, you know, we, we have, he said, um, you know, we have so much on our plate right now. We, we have our little boy who at the time was getting chronic ear infections every two weeks. And we just had our plate full, you know. And so I listened to him and I thought, okay, yeah, that really was one of those crazy ideas you get every now and then, and I just need to put it out of my mind. But I really couldn't put it out of my mind. And so when it was, you know, going back to school in January, I had $3, and I just said to myself, you know what, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to do this. You know, what What could happen? And I figured nothing. <laughs> oh. That certainly shows the, the power of blogging because, like you said, like once you get started – you can't stop, especially when you're getting dozens upon dozens of comments on all the, the things you're writing about. Yeah, yeah. 
and I got to tell you, I give you credit for continuing on because I, I work in a, a public school, so it sounds similar to the situation you're in. And this is now my ninth year working there, and I think I, I know I've, I've bought lunch one time ever, and it was a similar situation where I forgot my lunch that day, and I went downstairs, and I thought, well, I'll get the safest thing they have. I'll get a sub. That was one of the, the staples every day they have, like, turkey subs. So I got my pre-wrapped turkey sub, and I paid for it. I went upstairs to eat it, and I opened it up, and kind of I, I made the mistake of opening it up and looking at it before I, I took a bite, and I guess I'm, I'm glad I did now, but I looked in, and I guess the only way I can describe it, it's almost like when you go to the hardware store and you're looking in the wood section and there's the particle board wood where it's all just the little pieces that they oh they, they glue together. That's basically what the turkey looked like. It was just pieces. It was like compressed turkey. So I just looked at it and thought I, I pictured you know the I pictured someone sweeping it off the floor in the in the deli and squeezing it all together and I threw it out. That was that was the end of my <laughs> experience with uh, <laughs> with school lunches. So I gotta give you credit for it. For continuing on with it for a full year. Yeah, it was 162 school lunches that I ate. Oh, man. When I first heard your story, it reminded me a few years earlier when, I can't remember the guy's name, who, who did Supersize Me? Do you remember that, Brian? Yeah, um, Morgan Spurlock. Yes. You know, it reminded me of, of that uh, documentary he did about McDonald's, and he focused more on all the unhealthy side effects and, you know, what happened with him, the weight gain and, and the actual physical illness and the drain and all that. Did you experience anything like that? Yeah. Um, I wrote about it in my book. I, um, I didn't gain weight, so I stayed exactly the same the entire year. Now I did, I, I did, I was lucky in that I actually had blood taken the, the previous fall. So I had a baseline. And so six months after eating school lunch for six months, I had blood taken again. And, and I think one of the most surprising things was that, um, my cholesterol actually dropped. <laughs> oh, yeah, it dropped by 20 points, but that's because at home, I was now trying to overcompensate for the one, you know, the one quote bad meal that I was uh-huh. eating. So I, I was like, just, it was like a food revolution in my own house. So I was eating better and, you know, that, that's what I account for that. But, um, at the time that was June, 2010, I went to the allergist as well. And um, I, it was determined that I had, um, trouble breathing. Um, and, and mild asthma. So they actually prescribed me a rescue inhaler. And that was after six months of eating school lunch, and I never had uh, any kind of asthma before. Hmm. Well, you you know, you, you just mentioned your book a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about that. First of all, it's out now. Where can people find your book? Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's on Amazon.com. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's on ChronicleBooks.com. Uh, it's, it's everywhere, I guess in bookstores. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a story about my journey. And then at the end, I wrote a resource guide called, um, Mrs. Q's guide to quiet revolution, because I wanted to write about how me as really a pretty quiet and private person, um, how I did this, uh, well, first of all, the book details how I did it, and then uh, the the resource guide gives tips to people who maybe don't feel so bold, but also have opinions on issues like uh, school food and um, other health and wellness issues at school. So uh, 
I wrote a di- various different sections. There's a section for parents, a section for teachers, uh, teenagers, kids, and even community members, things that they could do. Just uh, my best ideas for what I think could work um, at school to change the, the environment there. Sure. Now, I, I personally can relate to your husband, you know, in terms of humorously saying, you know, that's a funny idea because, my, you know, I have a rather dry sense of humor personally. And so, you know, I can see just this long, you know, l- you know, list or line of pictures and just flipping through them and actually finding this pretty funny. So after, you know, kind of starting this and, and getting going, you know, to me, I'm thinking, if you wanted to take it to the next step, this would be a comedy book. What made you decide to take these lunch experiences to that next step and, and, and go for the book thing? You know, I never thought about it as a book and I was approached about writing a book. So, uh, that was, I I was, you know, they, I worked with them to think they, they had some ideas about how they would like to see it. Um, book. They didn't want, you know, I think that a lot of there right now, it's really a a time where people's blogs turn into books um, more frequently. And so what they really wanted was not just a rehash about all the meals I ate, although there there is a lot of information about um, the food that I ate, including pictures in the book. Uh, But they really wanted me to detail that journey from where I was before I started eating school lunch and then where I ended up at the end. And then also they really wanted a resource guide for, for people who felt inspired um, and what they could do. So, I mean, I think that the thing about school food is that it, it's, it can be really funny. <laughs> it can be the, it can be the butt of many jokes. Um, and that's part of why I think it resonates with a lot of people. They find it funny and they certainly had an experience with school food when they were kids but um, for me, it's also a very serious issue when we think about how kids are spending so much of their day at school. And if it's not, if that, if the environment is not set up optimally for health and wellness, it's it's not going to, you know, move our nation forward. Sure. Uh, and you're right. Like the idea of the bagel dog is kind of funny when you think of that. And everyone has those experiences. I know I have a friend who grew up in upstate New York and uh, once a week they had what was called cheese zombies and cheese zombies were basically mozzarella sticks. But everyone has those those experiences. But you brought up a good point earlier. The scary part of it with this, especially if you're in a, an area where there's a lot of free and reduced lunch students, is this is probably or could possibly be the only meal that they're having. And that's when you start to see how dangerous what's going on really is oh yeah uh i've been working with um feeding america i've talked to their i don't know if it's their social media team but they've been reaching out to me and providing me with um different statistics about child hunger and and you know the numbers are appalling it blows your mind it's mind-boggling to think about how many kids are hungry and it's more kids are hungry than adults like i figured that there'd be more, a greater number of adults that are hungry out there, but actually it's children who are disproportionately suffering from hunger in, in our country. And I, I just, I, I just don't know how that happens, but I know that schools have a role to play and, and, and that school meal is so v- valuable to those children. 
No, absolutely. And it's one of those things that I think, especially now with, with the economy the way it is and the politics and a lot of the, um, the, the different negative misconceptions that are out there about public education, it's almost like school lunches and, and nutrition in schools almost flies under the radar. It's not even not like a hot topic compared to all these other big things that are making the news every night. So I think that's what made your blog so appealing to me is that you did take that, which in my opinion is way more important and a much bigger issue than you know some of these other things that are going on right now in terms of uh, the new Common Core standards and um, teacher evaluations and all these other like hot topics that are out there. This is something that if you really want to talk about something in school that affects kids, this is is really where it's at. This is really big. It's really yeah. really big. And even though you know it does it it actually affects children living in poverty more, it still affects um, children who are in more affluent areas because they're still eating the fast food for lunch. Uh, right. There's a lot of these school cafeterias. I never even knew any of this before, but um, they have fast food stores right there. So they have like a lot of these schools have a McDonald's, they have a Pizza Hut, all the stuff um, that they can buy lunch there. Right on, right on in uh, in in their school cafeteria. Right, right. Well, I have a, a question for you. Uh, you mentioned you included a guide to quiet revolution is what you called it in your book. Uh, did you mention anything in there about the power of blogging and about the effectiveness of you doing this in that medium? Well, you know, I wrote a lot about it in the book, um, the part about my story. I wrote a little bit less about it in the quiet revolution, but I did say that um, one of the things I think that parents need to do is eat uh, school lunch with their children. And if they can, you know, they, I did mention that they could use Facebook to maybe organize a, a group of moms or dads to go in and have lunch with their kids and, and then talk about it together. And, of course, I mentioned the fact that they could, similar to me, take a pair of the lunch with their phone and um, tweet it out. Yeah, I mean, all those things, those social, that, that social networking stuff, just to get that that message out there a little bit more, right? Exactly. Okay, hey, well, I guess we're we're getting towards the end. Um, speaking of food, I know you mentioned earlier uh, before we started recording that your your husband is making you dinner, so we won't keep you uh, <laughs> we won't keep you too much longer. Um, now, I imagine he'd be he humored you when you said that you would you would take pictures of uh of the school lunch. He probably would not do the same if you started doing. Uh, doing that for his meals is that right <laughs> well you know um he is he's a funny guy i'll tell you um but we actually what's so interesting about the project and, and my health is that i figured out that i have gluten intolerance <laughs> really yes and i don't have celiac disease which is i think the most extreme form of gluten sensitivity intolerance I have a less severe issue in that I it's I don't think it's an autoimmune disorder like people who have celiac disease um, have to deal with, but um, I I no longer eat gluten and um, I feel terrific and you know I was eating a year's worth of mega wheat meals and 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 you know I mean there was so much wheat and gluten and all of that food and and I'm not saying that caused my issue because I I'm I'm pretty convinced it's something I've had my whole life. Um, but yeah, so our whole food experience at home is different. And so I 
do cook gluten-free. Um, we, we totally gluten-free here at home. And so my husband's lunches, that's his opportunity to go eat as much gluten as he wants. <laughs> so yeah, he, uh, I still try to convince him not only to, that he needs to go gluten-free, but that I, I would totally pack his lunch for him. And he remains unconvinced and much to my displeasure still occasionally buys microwave meals and eats those for lunch, which it's like, oh, honey, you really want to eat that microwave meal with a paragraph of ingredients on the side right. <laughs> over something I could prepare, but I uh, I still have yet to convince him. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know, I mean, uh, years ago, like I said, I'm a teacher, but years ago I, I worked as a, a counselor for like a summer camp, and we played that game every day. Me and the counselors, we'd see the kids get out their lunches and quite a few of them would be like the lunchable snacks or like the, the prepackaged snacks. And we would play the game among ourselves. We'd kind of look at all the ones the kids had and we'd, we'd try to guess which one had the most fat content and then go around oh, and check out wow. the nutrition facts. And yeah, it was always <laughs> like you look at the list of things that are in there and it's like, I can't even pronounce these words. Why am I eating them? <laughs> you know? Exactly. You know, that's why we need to fix school lunch because the, the packed lunches are not cutting it. If you've ever looked in those lunch bag bags, I mean, wow. And, and, you know, I came from that, that family too, where my mom was pretty health conscious. And so getting like a Lunchables at lunch was a huge treat. And, you know, that happened every now and then, but that's the thing. Like how did Lunchables get to be such a big lunchtime treat in, in place of like real food, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and I have a problem with any food that, under normal circumstances, need to be needs to be refrigerated. But then when you put it in lunchable form, it doesn't. Like tacos, why do you have tacos where you squeeze the meat out of uh, like the old ketchup packets? And like that's what it comes in now, and that just seems it just looks unhealthy. I can't imagine what it does to a, a body over the long long term. Oh yeah, I agree completely. But you know, a lot of these kids don't have a clue about food. In fact, I was just chatting with one of my students the other day. I said. I don't remember how we got on the topic, but I said, "Is you know, have you guys ever made cupcakes? I mean, that just seems like the easiest thing to do, you know, from a box. One, it was a group of three kids, and one of my students was like, no, I've never, I've never made cupcakes. And he's in second grade. He's never made cupcakes with his parents. And I'm like, well, have you ever, you know, cooked X, Y, Z? No. He, biscuits. We were talking about biscuits. How, what's a biscuit? You know, they had no idea what it was. They knew. They're like, oh, yeah, a biscuit. It's something you get from Popeye's. Oh, no. no. Okay. It's something that they wrap the hot dogs in. Isn't that what it is? <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, see, I thought I was bad because when, when I got married, one of our first meals, um, my wife used canned green beans. And I said, those are horrible. And, and she's like, what do you mean? These are the best green beans you can get. And I had grown up with, you know, the garden and the whole bit. And so to me, a green bean is the thing I just walk over, pull off the plant, rub it on my shirt a couple times and eat it. Yeah. And so cooking a green bean, you know, was, you know, was just extra time and effort that prevented me from eating. So well, I was used to so raw green beans and it. slightly steamed green beans. And she yeah. would grow up on canned green beans. And so we had a little battle for for quite a while in terms of determining what a good bean tasted like. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, you must have had a really wonderful um, childhood to have that awesome garden because so many kids have no idea. No sure. Clue. Yeah. Well, let me ask you one final question, then we'll, we'll let you go. It sounds like you really at home are 
are very much embracing the healthy, uh, you know, eating lifestyle. What recommendations, based on all the people that you've spoken to and all the people that you've now come in contact with because of your blog, what kind of recommendation would you make if, say, your school did sit down with you, and aside from just tweeting, you actually sat down with you and said, okay, how do we fix this problem? Where do we start? What would your answer be to that? Well, okay, there's two big things here in CPS. The first is that lunch is too, the lunch time is too short. Um, so they're getting 20 minutes for lunch. It's just not enough time. So we need to have a longer lunch period, and, and the contract actually is open for negotiation next year. So I think I'm going to advocate for a longer lunch period. Um, secondly, we need to have a salad bar in every school. So mm-hmm. that would be just like... Like um, Brian said, that is one way for these kids to have interaction with fresh veggies. There's no other way for them to do that. Um, There's no gardens in the area. And going to the grocery store, you know, I think a lot of parents are really intimidated by the produce section and avoid it. So if they can get that kind of exposure at school, I think that would help them feel more comfortable with – vegetables and plus what's so great about the salad bar is that they are empowered to make their own choice right now it's just handed to them and i think it's like ew i don't want this well if you had to make a choice and you know it's there for you and it's really nicely presented i think that that would be a really different experience for them and so that would be that would be something i'd really love to see and i think there is more political will towards changing school lunch than there ever has been. And so I think right now is the time for parents and teachers to really demand these things. And, um, you know, principals get to talk, get a chance to talk to a lot of the um, people in food service and um, talk about these things like salad bars. And this will bring that to their attention. Excellent. Excellent point. So um, again, you can find, Sarah's book, uh, it's called Fed Up With Lunch, and it, it, I found it on Amazon just now, so I'll post that link in our show notes and also through her website, fedupwithlunch.com. And it, so, Sarah, next step, uh, it's going to be a recipe book. Are you going to do a cookbook next? <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, <laughs> no, I am not able to do that. I am a good chef or cook only because I am able to read recipes. Uh, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Well, well let, let's do this then. If you're able to read recipes and, and we are kind of a, you know, techie people, give us your favorite recipe website so that we can start to eat better. What a great question. <laughs> I've never been asked that. Oh my gosh. Um, well, here's the thing. I'm gluten-free, so I really gravitate, gravitate towards the gluten-free bloggers. But, um, I would say, you know, there's a site, it's called Simply Recipes. That's a good site for just all different kinds of food. You can search it. Um, Basically, I just get an idea. So, for example, uh, we had butternut squash. We, we, um, this summer, I did the community share, the CSA. And so every other week, I did a half share, so it was only every other week, I got a bushel of fresh farm fresh vegetables from an organic farm out in western northwestern illinois and so i never done it before and of course unlike the farmer's market where you get to choose 
what kind of veggies and fruit you want to take home. You're given stuff, and you're often given stuff you would never buy. So I got butternut squash, which I've never purchased before. And so I Googled. I've really gotten into roasting um, lots of vegetables. I Googled roasting butternut um, squashes, and and I got um, recipes for butternut squash uh, soup. So I made it last night. Um, I roasted the butternut squashes. It's so easy to roast. I never knew I'm roasting everything. <laughs> <laughs> you just pour olive oil and salt on something, and then you let it sit in the oven for like an hour at 350. It's like a time commitment in that you have to, but it's super easy prep, and you can do it the day before. And then, so for example, I, I roasted the butternut squashes, and then the next day, I took them out, put them in a pot with some chicken broth, some salt, and then I, well, I I have a wonderful tool. It's called an immersion blender. It's a stick blender. And then I used that in the pot. I heated it up, and I served it to my family. Um, and it was just amazing. So um, it's it's, I think the best thing is doing it yourself and learning about vegetables, choosing a vegetable and then Googling all the different kinds of ways you could prepare it. What, what an excellent point to go out on. And I like the little tech spin on that too, Brian. That was a nice <laughs> way to, to kind of tie what we normally talk about in with this. But um, again, Sarah, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and talking a little bit about what you know how your blog started and where it, where it went. Because again, I think it, it's just a great example of the power of blogging and the power of being able to get your voice out and, and truly making a difference when sometimes people don't necessarily think that they have that power. So thank you. Thank you. And uh, we'll be keeping in touch. And uh, like I said, when that next book comes out, when that next recipe book comes out, we'll, uh, we'll have to get in touch with you again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Okay, Thanks for thank joining you. us. Okay, that was Sarah Wu, and again, the website is fedupwithlunch.com, and uh, like she was saying, even though her her one-year experiment is kind of over now, she's still posting all kinds of great information, and her um, mission is still going on, so definitely take a look at that, and and, uh, make sure you buy her book, too, because again, not only does it tell some of the stories from the blog, but it also goes a lot deeper into that. Uh, Pretty cool lady, huh? Uh, I'm I'm amazed by what's going on, and how... You know, just one person can can actually affect um, others, and and so easily and so quickly now with all this uh, tech stuff. Yeah, when well, it certainly uh, does speak to the power of blogging, and um, and that actually leads us nice into our, our tips of the week because you're going to share some ways that teachers can start blogging and and have that power at their fingertips. Isn't that right? Absolutely. The um, there are so many different ways to to blog. And um, if you really want to invest some good money, there's there's all kinds of options for you. But uh, today we figured we'd focus on four free um, methods to kind of get started in blogging. And hopefully um, in your school or district, um, you'll be able to access at least one of these and, and utilize it in, in the classroom. First one is WordPress.com. And um, that's a, a free blogging site and can kind of get you started. You can actually pay for it also if you want to, you know, add features and, um, and and make some some major significant changes. One that our uh, teachers like at our school is called Weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com. And um, we have a few different teachers that are using them. Um, one for a science website where they post um, everything from class notes to um, science fair project information and everything. 
Um, and then we also have our technology teacher who does stuff there. Um, and then there's Google Sites. If you're a Google user and have a Google account, you can go to sites.google.com, and you can create free um, websites there. And then the last one, which I have the least amount of experience with, is called Kid Blog, and you can find it at kidblog.org, and that's more geared towards um, towards students. And I, John, I believe you have a little bit of experience with that. Yeah, Kid Blog is is really I think designed more for elementary, middle school level kids. It's very very basic, and it really is just an avenue to get writing online. You don't do a whole lot in terms of changing backgrounds or, or settings with headings and that kind of stuff. It's pretty much you just type and it shows up online and it has the whole commenting feature. So it's a great one, especially if you're at the elementary level. And actually, I think last week, Paula Noggle, our guest from last week, I think mm-hmm. she mentioned that she uses that with her kids and she was, I think, fourth grade. So that, that that's a perfect grade for that. Awesome. Yeah. And all three of those, or I'm sorry, all four of those that, that you mentioned, Brian, are, are great. And if there's people out there who aren't exactly novices at, at blogging, none of those names are going to surprise them. But again, after listening um, to what Sarah said today, and maybe you're inspired to start something like this and you've never really thought of yourself as a blogger, I never thought, well, I don't have anything to say. I mean, she showed that there is, everyone has a voice. And he's, those four that you mentioned, Brian, are, are great ways to, to make that voice heard online. Definitely. Um, it, it's exciting, and you know, you know, try one, try all of them. In fact, they're free, so I, I'd recommend trying each one and see which one do you feel is the easiest and kind of gets you um, entering stuff as quickly as possible, and um, and give it a shot. Yeah, and uh, I guess I have some tips too today, um, and mine I guess are a little more advanced, but but not terribly. Uh, a lot of people have a problem that I have, and the problem is that with the email that you have, especially at school, the, the school email we have, we have a limit on how big file sizes can be when we're, we're sending uh-huh. emails. So there's been times when I've worked on video at home and, and wanted to send it into school, or even something with the podcasting, I've had to send bits of a podcast to people for them to review or edit or whatever, and it just won't. It'll bounce it back to me because the email system tells me that that email is too large. So there's actually a bunch of really great websites online that will let you send files through that site or host them temporarily on that site. And I wanted to share two of them because there's one that I've always used and there's one that actually um, Sean Keibel, our former host, had recommended to me and I actually like that one a lot too. So um, the first one is kind of a cool name. I like it because it's I've, it's pretty unique in my head anyway. It's called Get, and the the web address is just ge.tt, so very, very short, no .com or anything else. And um, Get is great because it allows you to upload very, very large files to uh, to the web, and then it just generates a link, and then you can send that link out to somebody. And I believe that it is, stays up for 30 days unless you create an, a free account through them, and then it'll stay as long as you want if you upload it under your account name. And uh, I've always used that one, and it, and it works great. And actually, Sean, just the other day, I was talking to him, and he wanted me to send him one of our, our previous podcasts for him to look over. And I said, well, I'll just use Gat. And he said, oh, I have another one that works really well, too, so I thought I'd try that. So if you're not into get, uh, the other one is called largefilesasap.com, and it's that's just the website address. And it works very similar to get. Um, only thing is it kind of does some of the footwork for you, and after you upload it, it automatically will email out to whatever recipients you, you originally identified, so you don't have to copy and paste that link. Uh, the only downside I found with largefilesasap.com is that I think there's only like a five or six-day um, period before they they make that expire, and then you'd have to like upload that file again. But 
Again, great tools for, for teachers if they're doing large file projects at home and they need to get them to school. Or a kid may be working on something at home and needs to get it to you at school. That's a, a nice way to bypass that file limit size that a lot of emails have. Gotcha. Now, along with that, does your school block the types of files that you can download and things like that um, from the web? You know, I'm trying to think. I personally have never had a problem with it, but... I know that there was something weird, like the new PowerPoint, like the PPTX or one of those, Uh it did all kinds of weird things with, and we were encouraged not to use it. But I don't think that was um, because of filtering. Like I know some schools, you can't download EXE files or ZIP files or anything like that through email. I don't have that problem. But again, with uh, a site like this large files ASAP or GET, that bypasses all of that because you'll be essentially downloading them off the website as opposed to through your email. Excellent. Yeah. So Awesome. So all good tips for us today, and um, you can hear my my voice. I, I forgot to mention in the warm up when we were doing our, our cookie getting and and our minute to minute. I, I'm the actually only male on my team this year um, among the teachers, so I served as the MC. So I don't know if you could tell as the show's going on and on, but uh, I just keep getting hoarser and hoarser because I <laughs> I spent all day like shouting over 120 kids who are you know throwing ping pong balls at each other. So I think this is a good time to wrap up. Excellent, sounds good to me. <laughs> Well, as always, at the end of the show, we get to uh, give you guys some information on how you can contact us or ask us questions or things like that. So we'll start with the uh, website, which is at elementop.com. That's E-L-E-M-E-N-T-O-P-I-E.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at elementop slash tightwadteacher. Or if you'd like to contact either John or I um, individually, you can also do that. Um, John can be found at John Mikulski, and that is J-O-H-N-M-I-K-U-L-S-K-I. Or you can find me at at Brugger, which is B-R-U-G-G-E-R. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash elementopi. And maybe someday, just someday, we will have enough people who like us where you'll be able to find us at our own little vanity tightwad teacher URL. We're getting there. <laughs> yeah, slowly, slowly. Um, go Until then, go to Facebook, um, type in the search box tightwad teacher, and you will be able to find our page and just hit the little like button over there. And when we get enough likes, then uh, that means that we will have our own little URL, and it'll make it easier for everybody to find us. And for those who are technically challenged or just happen to like the phone, we also have a number to call us at, and that is 559-IAMOP. 559-IAMOP for those who would prefer the phone. And for anybody else, feel free to uh, catch us on the website, Twitter, or Facebook. And uh, we'd love to hear from you, get some feedback, uh, maybe some show ideas or anything like that. Um, We would love to interact with you on the web. So uh, thanks much, and I suppose we will uh, wrap it up for the day. Yeah, that sounds good. And and one other thing I want to add before we we, uh, sign off, um, the Element OP website has a forums section, and it's now just starting to pick up a little bit. So if uh, we mention something that you want to hear more about or you have some comments about a show and you don't want to use the phone number, that's also a good place to post that, and we can have kind of a continuing dialogue on the website after the show has has aired. So take a look at that as well. All All righty. Well, uh, another another good show, another great guest. I would say this is probably our uh, most high-profile guest uh, so far, right? You're, you're saying that I wasn't very high-profile back <laughs> well, on uh, that's right. you were 
to her show number five. I think, yeah, she, I mean, she was on, like, the Today Show or something, wasn't she? So I, I think she eked right by you, Bruger, but. Uh, okay, I'll take it, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess with that, uh, we'll wrap up the show. So for now, this is John signing off. And Brian signing off.